Good morning. This morning we're going to do a little study on government in the Bible. It's going to be a little different than a sermon that I normally give on Sunday mornings. It's more of a topical study investigation into what the Bible says about government and maybe to come up with some conclusions on how we should feel about the government and, and what our part should or should not be. Um, I'm hoping to make this only a 10-week study. Um, the first week is today. Um, it's going to be an overview of the situation uh, leading up to the, the time of Jesus. So you can set everything in perspective. We believe context is king. So we want, we want to set the stage. And it's, there's a lot that goes on that needs to go into this before we actually dig into the scriptures. Um, week two through five will be looking at the Gospels and how Jesus interacts with the government, with uh, the Romans, the Pharisees, Sadducees, high priest, and all that stuff. The sixth week we'll do another kind of little history course um, because all the letters after the Gospels were written after the fall of Jerusalem, and, and the situation's very different. There's the dispersion of Jews, and there's no longer a temple, and, and people are living in Rome, and there just needs to be some more history that needs to be laid out. That'll be the sixth week. The seventh through tenth week, I'm going to try to do all the New Testament letters, what they say about government, and and we'll see where we end up. <laughs> Will it stay at ten weeks? I don't know, but that's that's my goal, my aim. Uh, my summary statement, the which may change throughout the the weeks as I, I do more digging into the scriptures, but I think the the best way to understand how we should result relate to the government and what we should do and not do uh, really is is all in Joshua 24, 14 through 15, which is a wonderful, um, this is how I feel currently. Now, if it changes throughout the weeks, well, you get to, to discover how that changes. But, but in Joshua 24, 14 and 15, it says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is my summary statement. This is kind of how I live life when it comes to the government. We're going to serve the Lord first. As for me and my house, we're going to do what the Lord has, has said. And he goes first. And the, the man-made government comes second. And we'll, we'll dig into what that means and what, what that really, really looks like as we look at Jesus' life, who, who I really want to examine how he deals with and works with and lives in the area that he lives in and the time that he lives in. Now, a little history. We're not going to get too much into it. We can go back and go back and go back because everything is built on other things. So the, there was the second captivity. The first captivity was Egypt. The second captivity is the Babylonian captivity, which ended in about 538 before Christ, B.C., um, before he came. And, and we can read about it in Daniel and how when it ended... Uh, about a hundred years later, Ezra and Nehemiah are uh, in the courts of the Persian Empire and realize that their people 
town lays in ruins, the wall around Jerusalem is in ruins, the temple needs to be rebuilt. And so you can read about that journey about rebuilding that Jerusalem in Ezra and Nehemiah. Really, really interesting, fascinating read. I enjoy. So at that point in time, about 440 uh, BC, um, they were in the Persian Empire, and the king gave them permission to rebuild the temple. As long as they pay taxes, uh, the Persian Empire was fine. They didn't didn't have any oversight immediately in the air. They didn't have any governors or uh, kings over Jerusalem. The, as long as they paid taxes, they could do what they wanted. Uh, then finally, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And Malachi is about 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. And and the walls rebuilt. The people have remodeled their homes and have moved back in. And, and Malachi gets this word from the Lord that he gets a burden, it says in verse 1, of the, the burden of the word of the Lord of Israel. By Malachi. This is a burden that he's given. It's not something that's easy to carry, but it's something he has to say. And he, he speaks out against the, the corruption that's in the, the priests and, and the, the temple and everything. And that they're going through the motions spiritually. Like they're just, they're just not, their hearts aren't in it. They're not really worshiping the Lord. They're serving other gods themselves, their, their riches, whatever it is. They've turned corrupt spiritually. And, and Malachi is quoting from the Lord when he says this in Malachi 2.7, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And we see in Malachi that this is not the picture of priest that we see. So for the next 400 years, God, there's silence from God before John the Baptist shows up on the scene. And, and in that time... Uh, Jerusalem is owned by like a lot of different uh, empires or kingdoms. It's a kind of a vassal state that just kind of gets overtaken. Um, in, in the more recent history, right before uh, the time of Jesus, uh, there's the Has Hasmonean Empire, which uh, is 101 years long. It's uh, from 138 BC to 37 BC, and and um, there's just this empire that's taken over this area and Jerusalem's a part of it. Uh, Herod, the great, whom we read about in the Christmas story, uh, wants it, is taking over the land and, and does that by seeking support from Rome. He wants to be king over this area for reasons we're not going to get into. And so he goes and seeks support from Rome. Rome says, yeah, we'd love to, to be over that area so they give their support and gives him an army and he goes and takes over the Hasmonean uh, empire and sets up his own empire Herod the Great. He does a lot of building projects which we'll, we'll get into a little bit here and he just just is seeking and looking for power. Um, So, not only, so the Romans, Judea becomes under the protection of Rome in 63 BC, and it's not until Herod finally kills and kicks out the previous kingdom in 37. And Rome says, yeah, you can be king over this area, 
Um, we just want you to set up um, taxes. We want, you know, our money, says the Roman government. And you can rule it however you want within our boundaries and our guidelines. So Herod served from 37 uh, B.C. to about 4 B.C., uh, says the current timelines. Um, he's the, the Herod the Great that the wise men go to in the Christmas story. That's the reason why Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee to Egypt, because Herod the Great is killing babies. And it's just pretty much a terrible guy when it comes to people. He's just worried about power, and he even... Interestingly enough, did a bunch of building projects, including rebuilding uh, the temple that they've built. Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra's time, they rebuilt the temple. And it was okay, apparently. Herod wanted to make it great to go with his name. And so he provided all the money and all the building materials, and they rebuilt and doubled the size of the temple and made it magnificent for people to come and worship. Um, one of the wonders of the world, it, it, so say some people. Um, so, so he he dies, um, and three of his sons uh, take over his areas. They they split into three little little states, and this happens when Jesus is young, because as Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are returning to Joseph's homeland, which is uh, Nazareth. No, Bethlehem. They instead flee to Nazareth because Bethlehem is under another terrible Herod, Herod the Archelaus, who only reigned for 10 years uh, over that area. Um, but that's why Joseph didn't return to his, his home country of Bethlehem. It was Bethlehem's right next to Jerusalem, which is where Herod the Arche Archelaus was. Um, he didn't reign for very long, only 10 years, and he was replaced by the Roman uh, governor, Pontius Pilate. So he was removed because of he was not a very good king or governor. So the Roman governor has taken over the land around Jerusalem. While the two brothers of Herod, Archelaus, two of the sons of Herod the Great, are Herod Antipas, um, who is, you will hear about, he kills John the Baptist. He is the, um, the authority over the Galilean area. And there's also Herod the Philip the Tetrarch, uh, who's also the other son of Herod the Great, who's in that area. Now that's the Roman side of things. The Romans brought with them allegiance to Caesar. They Not only were they supposed to make a sacrifice to God every year, but they had to make a sacrifice to, for Caesar for his well-being and health and expansion. Um, the Jews had to pay taxes to Caesar, as well as taxes to the temple. And soldiers uh, could force people to go the, what we call the second, the, the first mile. They, they could, uh, we'll look at this later, but they could tell normal citizens, hey, would you carry my stuff for a mile? And the citizens couldn't refuse. It was part of the deal of, having Roman protection. And they eventually removed the right to, the Romans removed the right to, for the Israelites to kill people for capital punishment reasons, which we'll see later as we look at the text concerning Jesus's death. Now, before the 400 years of silence, before Jesus comes on the scene, there's, there's a couple things that are going on. Um, 
And there's a couple things that aren't there. First, we look at the Sanhedrin, uh, which is in the Old Testament, kind of. Um, in Numbers 11, 16 through 30, you can read about the original 70 elders. Um, Mo God is talking to Moses and says in 16, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may bear, not bear it yourself alone. And you consecrate yourselves, and, and then they, they end up, everyone prophesying, these 70 uh, elders. So we have this Old Testament, like, post, uh, after the first exile, or after the first uh, captivity of Egypt, we have these 70 elders kind of set up to help Moses with his daily tasks. We see them again, these 70 uh, p p people of authority to help with the ruling and regulation of Israel in the New Testament. And they're called the Sanhedrin. So it's these 70 uh, Israelite uh, people that kind of control the, the rules and laws of the land. And they'll be eventually one of the, one of the groups that convicts Jesus. We'll get back to them. So we have this 70 people. They're kind of like a senate. Um, but So they're, they're in the Old Testament, and they, so they reset up the government kind of like that. They also have a high priest, which which is very much in the Old Testament. Um, the high priest is starts with Aaron, and any of his direct descendants can be high priest. Uh, Exodus 28 talks about that now. Take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him for among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest, Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And so the high priest originally could only come from the, the bloodline of Aaron, or Levi. But they were very, very genetic. They, they wanted them to be a very pure family. So if you married with foreigners or other people, you weren't allowed to be considered a, a direct descent of, of Levi. You were just a Levite. And they could be priests that would help uh, take care of the temple, that would help with the music or preparing things. They had their own uh, duty and job, even if they weren't in the direct descendant of Aaron or they'd married outside the family and stuff like that. We still see a high priest, although instead of being serving for life, as the high priest served before the Roman occupation, during the Roman occupation, the high priests were elected um, or assigned by the current governor or king. Because uh, we, we see normally they live, they have a lifetime and it goes to their son or grandson or some other person specific line um, but when Rome comes they set up their own high priest to so they have kind of a say in the council um, and they're there temporarily so the two high priests that we read about in the gospels is uh, Annas who served from around 615 AD, 6 AD to 15 AD and he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was the high priest from 18 to 36 AD um, who is the one that, that actually condemns Jesus. Uh, and Annas would have been the high priest when Jesus goes to the temple when he's younger. So we have these multiple high priests, which is kind of a, a confusing thing in 
the New Testament, but but they're elected. They uh, well during Herod the Great's reign, he he assigned like nine different high priests. So he you know got they weren't doing what they're supposed to. They fell out of favor with him, and they just he just replaced them. As that's what happens when you have a occupying force in your land. Um, so that is the high priest. They're the normal priests, the Levites. Uh, there are regulations that you can read about in Leviticus 21 about what you're allowed. You can't touch dead bodies unless it's your close family. You shouldn't shave your head. Uh, your wife should not be a harlot. It's just very interesting things that, um, that they do. Uh, and the high priest specifically couldn't have any um, deformities, no... Uh, Leprosy, balding, a disfigurement uh, like a withered hand or a, a torn ear. They had to be very perfect to, to represent God. And then they had many duties, which you can read about in Levit Leviticus uh, 16. And they uh, made sacrifices and purified the altar. Once a year they go into the Holy of Holies and we see all these duties that they have. Now, this is all Old Testament stuff. In the New Testament we have three new classes of people called the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees for a start. There are more, but those are the major ones we're going to kind of run into in the New Testament text we're going to look at. The scribes were lawyers. They were the experts in the law. They were the ones that were writing the, the new laws as we, we run into Jesus coming into conflict with the religious leaders. They had created these other laws alongside the ones of of, that God had handed them. And and their intentions were good. They were trying to make laws as kind of a wall around the laws of God so that you wouldn't accidentally... The idea was you wouldn't accidentally break one of the laws of God because you're adhering to these man-made laws. And and um, so they were trying to build this wall of protection around God's laws. Now, what happened was they were following those man-made laws and thinking they were made right with God because they were doing the checklist. They were doing all these things that made them look good, that made them seem holy and right per man's prescription, instead of following the, the laws of God, the commandments of God. And so they were making new ones, and you can read about them in the Talmud, and eventually these oral traditions or laws were uh, compiled into the Mishnah or Midrash, uh, the other stories, um, but we're not going to get into any of that stuff. But they, they were written down, and we can go back and see those other laws. So, uh, for an example, um, the Old Testament is very, very quiet on what specifically you should do on the Sabbath, but the scribes made up all these rules on what you definitely could not do, going beyond what the Scripture said. So, um, pushing buttons, lighting fires, uh, doing buttons, tying knots, are all a bunch of these extra things that were added to the the Sabbath. God said to keep his day holy. And the religious leaders decided to tell people how to do that, rather than people seeking out for themselves how to keep it holy. Uh, Well-intentioned, but as we take our eyes off of God and put it onto man and their rules and laws... We, we walk away from God. We start serving other gods, other other things. We start relying on ourselves. So we have these two religious groups at this in the time of Jesus called the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees were in power at the point in time that Jesus was on the scene. Uh, they 
only believed in the inspiration of the first five books of the Bible, the, the, the Pentateuch. They did not believe in resurrection. Uh, they were also the religious and wealthy elite of the Israelites. They were the ones in power at Jesus' time, and they served in the temple courts. But the other group was the Pharisees, and they recognized the, what we consider the entire Old Testament, the, the book of the prophets and the Psalms, and they, they considered all of it inspired by God. They believed in a resurrection, and they were the country pastors, as it were. They were the ones out in the countryside and the synagogues that were teaching the people in the little towns all over the place. And so they would come together and rotate out um, in Jerusalem as they came for different festivals and Jesus would come into conflict with them in their synagogues out in Galilee and in the countryside. So these are these two factions. They just really hated each other uh, for really strange reasons, but they both agreed to hate Jesus even more. They got together and worked together with a common enemy, Jesus the Christ, uh, who was just um, contradicting what they said, how they believed, how they walked, and and they were worried about Jesus taking their power away from them, which is why they, they got together against Jesus. So those are the religious people we're going to run into. High priests. All right, so that kind of sets the scene. So the to summarize, Jerusalem was still in control of their rules and regulations. They could still observe their holidays. Rome uh, was very, very clever in taking over places. They basically said, you govern yourselves, but you pay taxes to Caesar, and you follow these extra little rules and laws. And so they would hire uh, locals to do a lot of the administrative stuff, which is where Matthew, the tax collector, comes from, and, and Zacchaeus, their locals local Israelites that that have volunteered for service to Caesar and collect Caesar's taxes, which is why they're hated, because they're basically working for the enemy. They're working for the occupying force of Rome. And Rome Rome was not really a kind uh, overlord, as overlords go. Um, they crucified people. They killed them. They put them on stakes. Uh, at, they even, one of the conquering generals Pompey I believe his name was walked into the holy of holies and desecrated the place um before Jesus got on scene I forget what year it was 63 but so they were not the kindest oppressors as it were so so because of this tension Israelite was still governing and still thought they were the God's nation Rome had taken over and was, was subjecting them to high taxes, uh, beatings. If they couldn't pay the taxes, they they take you out, sometimes hang you up um, on the cross or on a stake. And there's this tension that's building. And we'll see that there's a, a couple different sects of religious-based Israelite rebellious groups. One of them is the Zealots, and we won't get into the other ones, but, uh, but the Zealots are these people that really hate the Romans and are those people that do like guerrilla warfare and attack the Romans and um, kill guards and, and do as much as they can to disrupt the Roman Empire because they, they don't like it being in their town, in their, in their country. 
so there's all these tensions and all these layers of government that's happening in the New Testament, in the Gospels specifically right now, um, that we're going to look at Jesus interacting with centurions and governors and, uh, and how he responds to them. And his kindness and his, we'll, we'll look at that, and his kindness and his grace and his marveling and everything. Um, he's really, really a neat model to look at because he's God walking. He's God in the flesh, God incarnate. And so really I want to focus there on the next couple of weeks of seeing how God interacts with these ruling empires, these um, priests and the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and the corruption that they have and how he speaks to them but also how he treats them. Um, so, so that's where we're going to start. Hope you have a wonderful day. And Lord God, I, I pray that this next 10 weeks we would be able to study who you are and your example, Lord God, as we're called to walk as you walk, walk in step with the Spirit. Lord God, I pray that you would be upon us and with us and help us to have uh, open eyes, open hearts, and open ears to hear what you're trying to tell us through your word as we're going to jump into your word and, and read scriptures and your your inspired word, Lord God. Let's see what you have to say to us in these, these 10 weeks. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for our sins so that we won't have to work as we're going to see so many people trying to do work for our salvation. We can rely on on your finished work on the cross lord god for our salvation lord we i praise you for that and i pray that um, these weeks would be fruitful and beneficial to us in jesus name i pray amen